National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. A new report released this week details the extent of the FBI's weaponization of law enforcement against traditional Catholics. Catholic News Agency's staff writer Joe Bacoris has reported on this story for EWTN for the last several months. He joins us now with the latest about how far the FBI went in looking for possible domestic terrorists within traditional churches. Then we hear Advent thoughts on the current conflict in the Holy Land from a Muslim who became Catholic. Register blogger Zubair Simonson joins us with a story of conversion. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and Catholic News Agency, and I'm your host here on Register Radio, thankfully joined by my co-host Matthew Bunsen, who is EWTN News' Vice President and Editorial Director. Hi, Matthew. Hello, great to be a, with you. a busy week in uh, Washington on, on a very... A crazy matter in, in, in our world, in our respect, right? But, um, but the, the House Judiciary Committee released a report, uh, and as I mentioned in the lead-in, it's, it's about um, how the FBI was investigating traditional Catholics as possible terrorists. And so we're joined by CNA reporter Joe Bakouris. Hey, Joe. Hey, guys. How you doing? It's good to have you on the show. I think this is the first time, and so we're very grateful um, for the reporting you do at, at CNA, covering often uh, breaking news and um, bringing it to us very quickly and, and uh, with precision. So, Joe, it's, it's so good that you've been covering this case since about last January, really. And uh, your reporting has actually been cited by larger organizations and, and, and whatnot, and so it's, it's, it's really brought some very useful material to Catholics and to society. So um, let's get started. What can you tell us? Um, let's go back to January rather than starting with the report. What can you tell us as an overview about what we found out last January? Sure. Yeah. So last January, a memo, uh, basically like a, a four to five page document was leaked from the FBI's Richmond office by a former FBI agent and that's how it got to the press, and this whole story started. And that memo basically calls for an investigation through informants in Catholic parishes into, quote-unquote, radical traditionalist Catholics, and their possible ties to what the document says is the far-right white nationalist movement. Mm. So this naturally caused a lot of uh, uproar among Catholics, um, lawmakers, uh, there, there was a letter by, by several attorney generals from across the nation that, that wrote out denouncing this, calling for uh, demanding answers. Uh, even the U.S. bishops uh, came out and denounced this, and, and the local bishop um, in Richmond. Uh, and, and, and so the Weaponization Committee, which is a subcommittee under the uh, House Judiciary Committee, began its investigation into the FBI to try to get down to it back in February, when this became leaked. Yeah, Joe, the, the House Judiciary Committee's report, and I want to quote this, it says, Under the guise of domestic terrorism, the Richmond Memorandum casts swaths of Catholic Americans as radical traditionalist Catholics and those practicing it as ripe opportunities for FBI, quote, threat mitigation. Now, we know it was retracted, but how did it get started, and do we know how high up the authorization went? So the, 
the, the report that was just released by the Weaponization Committee, uh, it does give us a window into how it, it, it uh, its inception began. Um, it, it started with two FBI analysts, and, and we got this information because the Weaponization Committee subpoenaed it from the FBI. Uh, so basically the FBI had to give them internal documents um, about how this all happened, and that's how the Weaponization Committee got its info, which we're now seeing in public. So it started with two FBI analysts, it started with one local investigation in the Richmond area into uh, uh, someone who was an actual criminal and who was arrested, uh, I think, on a, on a weapon, a legal weapons charge, um, who was interested in the, uh, the Catholic Church uh, through uh, the SSPX, um, an SSPX church in, in Richmond, which so is the Society of St. Pius X. They're a canonically irregular uh, uh, Catholic group. Mm-hmm. And... Through this investigation, they began reaching out to other offices across the country, FBI offices, saying, have you seen anything like this? Um, kind of hard to describe because, because it, a lot of people are saying, well, what's the basis for this investigation? It's like a fishing, you know, they, fishing <laughs> trip, right? I mean, they're fishing. Sure. That's a great word. Fishing, kind of fishing for it. So they went and they talked to uh, different offices, and they found uh, different in- instances of uh, where there were actual uh, criminals or, or, or where the FBI did have ongoing investigations into people who were interested in a more uh, traditional Catholicism, or, or in, in these cases, as they list out in the memo, um, the SSPX churches. And so they used these four instances, of three or four instances, and as the basis for, for creating a, really a theory that in the run-up to the next 2024 election cycle, that more uh, racially motivated violent extremists, that's the term they use, will become interested in traditional Catholicism, uh, I'm sorry, radical traditional Catholicism, as they say, um, yeah, within the next 12 to 24 months. And that's basically the, their theory, which, which is, you know, a lot of people are saying is unfounded and are upset about it. Right. I'm talking to Joe Bacoris, the CNA's reporter who has been covering uh, the FBI's weaponization uh, against uh, traditional Catholics, um, really weaponization of law enforcement against traditional Catholics in, in some areas. And a very in- interesting report came out from the House Judiciary Committee uh, this week. And so we're following up on that report. Joe, when did these this, these investigations actually occur? Uh, I mean, what time frame? Are we talking around, for example, the January 6th um, uh, excursion at the Capitol, <laughs> however you want to label uh, that, that particular day's events? Um, was it around that time frame? What are we, what's the time frame? Help us understand the timeline. Sure. So these investigations uh, that I was just mentioning uh, from across the country, um, occurred in uh, 2022, one, one was in 2022, one was in 2021, uh, mm-hmm. have another one in 2021. Yeah, so around the, the past two, two to three years, uh, they, all, they all fall. Um, and, Matthew, I know I, I, uh, I missed the last part of your, your question there of, of how high did this go. Mm-hmm. Um, this went to the highest levels of the Richmond office, all the way to the special agent in charge and its top legal counsel, who apparently all saw uh, no constitutional issues with this wow. uh, before before it was um, put on a, a FBI-wide system, which is, you know, contrary to, to what the FBI directors previously, previously said in, uh, in judiciary hearings. Um, and it's funny, in the report you actually have uh, detailed FBI agents from other offices 
publicly commenting on this report, or publicly or internally, uh, everyone mm-hmm. can see it, uh, saying, why are we relying on these, uh, on these biased sources in this report, such as the Southern Poverty Law Center, as a basis for an investigation? Uh, it, it, they, they disagreed with it. And so that came out in the report as well. Um, but it, it, it certainly ha- has caused a lot of rift uh, in the Catholic community in, in the past uh, past year, almost a year now. And mm-hmm. it's, this, is, this report is called an interim report. So it, it's not necessarily a conclusion. It, it's just what they have so far. So I think that's an indication that this might might keep going. Yeah, I was going to ask that about what's next. Uh, but, but let's turn to a different uh, topic, because it, I'm just kind of wondering where there might be patterns. Uh, considering what we've seen with the apparent investigation of traditional Catholics here in this particular instance, um, and, and then you, you look at the alleged targeting of pro-life activists by the Justice Department, uh, in what a House uh, Select Subcommittee calls a weaponization of the federal government in general. Is, is that something people are talking about? What, is there a pattern here that, that you can discern? Yeah, well, well Senator uh, Josh Hawley certainly thinks there is. In, in the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, hearing yesterday, on oversight of the FBI, uh, he grilled uh, the... Um, the FBI uh, director Christopher Ray on this, and he brought up the uh, the FBI's arrest and the DOJ's prosecution of pro-life father of seven, Mark Houck, um, who is he's a Pennsylvania guy. He's a he's a pro-life activist. He prays outside Planned Parenthood. They they arrested him on Face Act charges. That's the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. Back in then um, they pre- they pros- they prosecuted him uh, just last year. Uh, I'm sorry, it was, it was earlier this year, it was in January, it was right in the beginning of this year, and he was acquitted on those charges. Uh, they basically alleged that he was trying to intimidate a clinic escort worker, and it turns out that he was just protecting his son. So, so Holly grilled uh, Director Ray this morning on, the, on that as well, saying, you've gone after this pro-life guy, you, you totally missed, uh, you're using taxpayer money for this, and mm-hmm. now you're going after Catholics. Is there a pattern here? Because it sure seems like there does. So, you know, you're not the first one to, to, to bring that up. Uh, I think a lot of people are, are saying that. Mark Houck is, is also a Catholic, by the way. So, right. Um, so uh, going back to kind of what I alluded to, do we know what the next step is? I mean, this is an interim report. Um, maybe, we, maybe we don't know, but what are people calling for the next steps? You know, what would, would people like to see happen who have been concerned over this? Yeah, so next steps, I think people want answers. Um, again, in that, in that hearing, uh, Josh Hawley asked uh, the director, has anyone been fired over this? Mm-hmm. You know, you're in, you are violating the First Amendment rights with, of Catholics with taxpayer dollars, is anyone fired of this? His answer was, this is going to go into their uh, end-of-the-year review, and oh, wow. he's indicated, indicated that no one has been fired over this. Um, he sidestepped he, you know, the question, and, and that's their answer. Holly was not happy about that. Um, people online have been, have been very upset about it. I, you know, I think people want reform, and the FBI, talk, uh, they've talked about reform uh, in their... Uh, in the report, it lays out a little bit of what they're doing. They're talking about getting more training, 
it says that the people involved in the production of this port, uh, report were uh, admonished, sorry, the memo, were admonished and that they have to undergo training. So, you know, one of the things he said in the hearing yesterday is that, is that it could affect their pay. Um, so, you know, take that for what you will. Right. That's how the FBI is dealing with it. They're dealing with it as, a, as an HR issue as opposed to a constitutional issue. Right. Well, it's very important, you know, that the press is dealing with it at all, um, because I don't think everyone is. And so it's very important, uh, the work that you're doing uh, to cover this and Catholic News Agency is doing to to cover uh, this uh, overreach. And and as it has been said, it's a weaponization. So, uh, Joe Bacouris from the Catholic News Agency, it's, uh, it's good to talk to you and we hope to hear more updates on this story. Thank you both. When we come back, we will talk about Advent, Gaza, Israel, and a story of conversion with Zubair Simonson. This is Register Radio on EWTN Radio. Stay tuned for more. If you need your news on the go, read the Register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and Catholic News Agency. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, my co-host here on Register Radio. And you know, I choose the Register Radio content based on the news that's going on or some really hot content uh, at ncregister.com, hot meaning all of you listeners are reading it. <laughs> um, but this time, I just, my, my attention was caught um, because this was a mix between the season that we're in, the liturgical season, and events going on in the world, and a, a story that I think is what we're all about as Catholics, and that's conversion. And so that's why we're bringing you this story now. And our guest today is Zubair Simonson, a blogger at ncregistered.com. He writes from Riley, North Carolina. That's where he is today when he's speaking to us. And he's a contributing author for uh, The Catholic Gentleman. He's also uh, written his conversion story in a book called My Name is Lazarus, uh, published by the American Chesterton Society. He's got a few other books available, too, on Kindle. Interesting reads. You can look him up at ncregister.com and see his full uh, bio there. But today we're talking about his conversion uh, in a blog that he wrote for us called Advent Thoughts About Gaza and Israel from a Muslim who became Catholic. So, Zubair, it's so good to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on. So you are a convert to Catholicism. 
Um, that's uh, most of what we'll talk about today, but um, there's a lot that happened before that Catholic conversion. <laughs> um, you were raised Muslim uh, here in the United States, um, growing up in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, right? Uh, you grew up very aware of the crossfire uh, between Israel and Palestine. Uh, you were aware of that tension, deep tension between Jewish people and Muslim people. And you've written about that. And, and it's, it's so important um, for us to understand what that tension is like. Um, can you describe it for us now? What was it like growing up with that kind of tension? Because now we're seeing the ripple effects across the world. It's something you just, it's just very, among Muslim households, uh, that's very standard. There might be events like this, this current war with Hamas in, the, in Gaza, which um, rises the tension where it's, okay, it's uh, deeply emotionally felt. Oh, we do not like this other side. We do not like the Zionist state. And then, you know, uh, in the calmer moments, it's just kind of like a, a low simmer, where it's just um, not necessarily going on rants about Israel, but there might be moments where it's like um, the neighbor... You're parked in front of your aunt's house, and uh, the neighbor's mom kind of backed into your car, did a little bit of damage, and uh, the aunt and uncle will quickly point out that the neighbor was a Jew. Mm-hmm. So it, it goes between just kind of like a little simmering dislike and a uh, outright hostility um, in moments as uh, we've experienced or we've seen during the last two months. So there is a range, and of course there's a range <clears throat> from household to household, where, uh, you know, it's, it's more, one household may feel it more deeply than another, and another may not, may hardly feel it at all. But it is very much standardized throughout mu- many Muslim households. Like, I myself grew up in a, what would be considered a moderate family. We were, we're religious, but, um, but, uh, you don't have to worry any, about any of us strapping bombs on ourselves and uh, going to public spaces. It definitely doesn't go that far. You know, even then, it's like um, when uh, shortly before I'd moved to New York, I remember like, a cousin of mine once uh, like, called it Jewville. It's just something that's always there. It comes out to the forefront in the big news moments, and it's just kind of there in the background otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, simmering is the right, you know, the right word until there's a boiling point, right? And um, and and you speak, you wrote about, um, uh, you know, times when that was a very high tension. Obviously, right now we're in it, um, but you wrote that 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 black and white narrative where, um, you know, Jewish people might uh, are bad, uh, Muslim people are good, and no matter where the conflict is in the world or what it's about, um, those. Those are the lines. And, and that um, black-white narrative fell apart for you. H- how did that happen? Well, that's um, pretty much that one goes hand-in-hand hand with my uh, eventual conversion. And I didn't go from Islam to Catholicism. I went from um, practicing Muslim to really lax Muslim to refuse to call myself Muslim at all um, to Protestant Christian and then to the Catholic Church, and that's over the course of, well, up to the age of almost 30. In 2012 is when I converted, uh, or when I was received into the Catholic Church. And um, so there's a a lot of moments that kind of um, just kind of led 
to the disintegration of my faith in Islam. And, um, you know, I, I can probably cite 15 to 20 events if we had enough time. But um, kind of as, and, you know, um, there's events at Sunday school, um, seeing one particular convert, just kind of like what effect the extremism had on him. This was shortly before 9-11. 9-11 itself, of course. And then discussions about this and th- this point and that point that eventually just kind of all added up to a day in February 2006 where um, I-, I just happened to be walking in Times Square. I was living in New York at the time and saw in the news ticker that the Alexa shrine had gotten bombed in Iraq. And that's a Shia shrine, and, and it was um, by Sunni terrorists. It just kind of like all hit me at that point where it's like, you know, a lot of these terrible things that happen, um, I've, I've been hearing throughout my whole life. It's like, it's, that's, not, that's um, not the result of Islam. That's just some crazy person. But then realizing, well, those guys read the Quran far more than I do. I was at a point where I was more likely to see at a bar than at a mosque. And just kind of realizing this actually has much to do with Islam, why we're doing it that we had um, been fed our entire lives, um, a narrative that we must follow a man who actually did start an empire, and this expectation that with our own faith, we will have an empire, we will dominate, we will control. And then that this, this is the implication of believing that that's how things are supposed to be. But over the course of those years, I was also kind of willing to just kind of, um, as I questioned Islam itself, I was also ready to question the, the narratives I'd been growing up with. Um, and, and during this time, like, you know, I went to University of Michigan. I had a good number of Jewish friends. They didn't seem all that bad at all. Um, I, on my father's side, so my father's a convert to Islam. Uh, his mother was Catholic. His um, father was Lutheran. But uh, one of his sisters married a Jewish man. So it's like, I don't know, I... I'd known Jews enough right. all the, uh, the time where it's like, okay, this one's not that bad. Okay, these friends of mine, they're not that bad. You met people, um, right? You met people. Yeah, <laughs> I met people. And um, so I was, along with it, willing to look at what the other side of the narrative was. And um, kind of by the time I'd stopped being a Muslim... I actually had some appreciation for Israel, or it's the only democratic country, maybe obviously not a perfect democracy, what is, but uh, the only democratic um, country in that whole region. Um, And considering that there's this hostility that I grew up very very much surrounded with, um, they have to be aware. They're not in a position where they can be unaware of that. They have to take measures to protect themselves, and um, those measures may be harsh, but they're, they're not just arbitrarily doing it, they're doing it for a reason, mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of realizing there is another side to this, and it's not, it's not as uh, simple as a narrative of uh, demons and angels, right. it's people versus people, and everyone's got good and bad running through each of their own hearts. And we're all shades of gray. Yeah, well, well, to that, you quote in your piece, your most recent piece for the Register, uh, from Moby Dick, uh, to the last I'd grapple with the... But then you make the important point that hatred consumes 
The loathing of a perceived enemy can be so consuming that one would rather see that enemy harmed than see a so-called friend be saved. So you write about hatred in our hearts, and there's so many different kinds of hatred that we're seeing today. How can all of us examine our consciences on this? I think um, this is where it's very important to look at the cross. The thing is um, to look at that and realize that um, before we demonize the Sanhedrin and the Roman soldiers who had killed Christ, um, they had the same pride within themselves that I myself have, and therefore I have a stake in what happened to him as well. Uh, just when you look at that, look at the cross long enough, you realize, like, okay, I'm not necessarily the good guy. And um, you have to have that awareness to, to realize, okay, I have, if I'm not necessarily the good guy, how am I not the good guy? And I have prejudices which lead me to think this way, uh, that help fuel me to say these things. And um, just understanding that you yourself are not completely innocent is very crucial. And I think that's one of the big differences between Islam and Christianity, whereas Islam, they have a lot of great disciplines, where it's like, uh, I am a better Christian for having grown up Muslim, because I grew up fasting. I can do that, because I've been doing it since I was 10. Um, I grew up uh, learning I was supposed to pray five times a day, so I can pray often, because it was a habit uh, when I was a kid. And... um, but but having those wonderful disciplines does not um, help you necessarily help you realize that I myself am partly responsible for the crucifixion of our Lord. Mm-hmm. Right, and those disciplines don't give us a Savior, right, who came in love. And this is what I loved about your piece is that you talk about conversion from hatred to love, and you ask us all to examine ourselves. And in the context of Advent, it's a perfect opportunity uh, to do that, because there is war all around us, there's division all around us, there's strife in any way in in our families, and whatever it happens to be, and we await a Savior. And uh, Zubair, I I love that you brought this examination, if you will, of your own conversion um, to us, uh, and and that we're reading it here in Advent, and you're reflecting on it with us. So I appreciate your time with us today, and for sharing your story uh, with the Register. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us on Register Radio here on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, and myself, Jeanette DeMello, I pray that until next week, God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.